This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yes. So it's another week, another special guest, COO, Mr. Stephen Hoban. Welcome to HFC Chat. Hi, how you doing? You okay, guys? Yeah, good, thank you. So we may as well get stuck straight into the fans' questions. I think the perfect way to start is the first question that comes from Jill, who's asked what your expectations of the task were when you came into the role and have they since changed? Cracky, yeah. Um, I think um, I think anything like this, when you when you go into a job, you never quite know what to expect. Um, I think when I first started, you know, I think it was quite well documented. You know, I actually had my interviews um, started off via Zoom, and then I had my second interview over at the Prestige Group, uh, the chairman's um, the care home side of the business. Hadn't actually been to the stadium. I was just in the stadium. I'd not been there before. Uh, not for a long, long time, many a year. So I think I accepted the job before actually seeing the stadium. Um, and then I was, during the interview process, obviously I was told kind of what the um, what the vision was for the next kind of few years and my kind of ambition where I was in my my career and where the chairman was with his club and the two kind of matched up. So I think um, before I walked in, before I saw the place, my kind of expectations were very much around kind of rebuilding the off-field operation. Um, I think, you know, the football side was being uh, run well by Dave Challoner. I think the football team were flying, we'd had promotion. Um, you know, there's a lot of good things and on the football side of things, but probably off the field was a little bit falling behind. So I think before I'd even seen the club, um, it was more about kind of, you know, getting under the bonnet, looking at the problems, trying to fix them, thinking it would be a um, a relatively easy job, really, compared to some of the clubs I've been at in the past where, you know, the infrastructure was already in place. Um, there was lots of good people around me, uh, big teams of people, you know, commercial teams that had 10, 15 people, media teams that had five, six, seven people. Um, so then when you actually get into the position and you look at kind of where we are in terms of the bare bones, really, in terms of how many staff we had, uh, that was when the 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 kind of um, the challenge really hit me, um, and I think when I walked into the stadium, I, I talked about how it probably needed a bit of a lick of a paint, and um, 
you know, it was a bit run down in first impressions. You know, you guys, you support the club that you, you love every week, week in, week out. And I guess you probably don't um, look at it with a fresh pair of eyes because you're from the town. You go there every week, week in, week out. You pay your money and you, and you support the lads. It doesn't really matter. But then when you've got a fresh pair of eyes, certainly coming from Premier League clubs and Championship clubs that I've worked at in the past, it was a bit crikey. We need to do a little bit of work here on the on the kind of brand side of business. So in terms of what did I expect, I expected um, a challenge. I expected, you know, a club that didn't have loads of finances and resources available um, readily on the back of a COVID couple of years. It was it was difficult. League two, I'd never worked in League two. So personally, that was a, a challenge for me. Um, but then within a week or two, um, I soon got down to business and actually you know, regardless of what the, the stadium looked like or the fact that it's coming towards its end of its life um, in terms of a football stadium currently, um, I really just had to tackle the culture. I wanted to get people on board because I think there'd been negativity that had been running through the club for a number of years, for whatever the reason, and that I'd kind of inherited. And I, I felt very much like I had to stop the rot almost, um, you know, give everybody a fresh start. Um, kind of lead from from the front by example. There was a lot of work to do, and I think in my first kind of meeting, I took everybody off site. I just wanted everybody to be away from the business. So I took everybody over to Hartlepool College. We had a meeting. I kind of set my stall out, my expectations for the for the kind of next six months to twelve months. And I said to everybody, you know, it's it's um, it's a fresh start for everybody, but there's a lot of work to do. And if if we're going to get anywhere near where we need to be, then the next six months are going to be tough. And we might get some criticism along the way, but we've got a plan that I'll put together in place and we've got to stick to the plan. And if we stick to the plan and we work hard, work our socks off for six months, then in six, seven months time, we'll be in a much better place. And I think I think we're there now. I think, um, you know, by no means are we the finished article, but we're definitely in a much better place than where we were six months ago. But, you know, that's not come without a bit of pain. You know, there's been some pain, there's been... Um, there's been some long hours, there's been some frank conversations, there's been um, a lot of honesty that we've had to, you know, kind of encourage around the business. Um, there's been a conversation about who's kind of on the bus, who's not on the bus. And if you're not on the bus, then it's probably time to, to get off. And if you want to be on the journey and you want to take the football club where I want to take it, then, you know, we all work in the same direction. Um, we can't work in silos like we probably have done in the past. We can't work in clicks, we can't have any negativity because that just spreads like a cancer throughout the business. So I think in terms of the challenge, I knew operationally um, there'd be lots in. I think what I didn't expect was the kind of, at, in this, at this level, my kind of position here at the football club was the unexpected things that you just can't anticipate. You know, things like ticket abuse, things like people um, passing tickets through fences, historic things that have been going on for a long, long time. Never in a million years did I expect to be tackling that in the first few months. So, so they were kind of additional challenges which I had to kind of stamp out relatively quickly. I think we're there now. I think, you know, we've, we'll never ever stamp it out, but I think we've reduced it. But in terms of a challenge, probably a slightly bigger challenge when I when I actually took the job than I thought it was going to be. But you know, it's one that I'm relishing, and I honestly think that the potential of the football club is huge. And if I didn't see that, I didn't see the the kind of chairman's vision. Uh, six, seven months ago as to where he kind of thinks he can take it. And I'm sure we'll come on to that later. But um, 
then I wouldn't I wouldn't have taken the job. It's as simple as that. You know, I, I'm at a very important stage in my career. Um, working in the Premier League, working in the Championship, I've, I've, I've worked fit in League One. I've never worked in League Two. You know, I've kind of taken a gamble as well. Um, you know, financially, I've taken a big gamble and in big salaries in the Premier League and uh, to drop down to League Two. But you know, I've got personal goals. I want to be a Premier League chief executive in the next ten years. And if I want to get there, then I've got to have an opportunity to um, to kind of prove I can do it. And this is my kind of learning curve in League Two to get the COO, CEO experience I need to kind of work back up the leagues again, but at this position. So, you know, I wouldn't have taken that challenge if I didn't think I was up for it. Um, and I'm certainly um, under no illusion, this isn't a quick a quick job. I think this is a kind of two, three, maybe four year project for me and the football club to get it to where I think it can, it can be. And yeah. Well, this next one links in quite well and it's from Matthew Taylor who has asked what is it? Sorry, what's been your biggest challenge since joining the club? Um, I think my personal biggest challenge is because I've because it's a football club that hasn't necessarily got the infrastructure already in place. So, for example, a lot of the things that I see fans complain about are things that, believe it or not, I spotted and I see every day, every week, and I know they frustrate the hell out of fans and they also frustrate the hell out of me. Um, at the same time, you know, I also realise that in any football club, you know, you'll get 90% of the people who will be behind the club no matter what and see that you're trying to do things for the right reasons. And there'll be 10%, doesn't matter what you do, will never be happy. Um, and we've certainly got a few of those at Hartlepool. So, um, you know, you could sign Ronaldo and some people would say you should have signed Messi, but we're a League Two football club and you just got to keep things in perspective. And, you know, I look on social media and it's the same old suspects. I could name them all now, but I won't. Um, who seem to have a dig about everything. So I think the biggest challenge is really trying to remain focused on the on the kind of bigger picture. And I've mentioned this a few times now in previous interviews, but I think over the past few years, this football club has just kind of been propped up by not getting underneath the, the bonnet and trying to actually fix the actual cause of some of the problems. And we've just been quick fixing things. And that's fine. It might it might smooth you over for a, for a month or it might take the flack away for a month or it might take the media attention away for a little short time but actually you're not fixing it. So I've tried to do the difficult stuff first, which is, you know, have some difficult conversations with staff, um, have some frank, honest conversations at board level, um, look at some of the problems and try and tackle them head on so that longer term, once we fix them, we fix them for good. Now, I'm not saying for a second that things are perfect. I know they're not. Um, I think they're a hell of a lot better now than they were six months ago, but I know that that's nowhere near where this club can be but I think going back to the original question about challenges it's simple things that you take for granted at other football clubs for example um, Wi-Fi I know it sounds a simple thing but actually having a really good Wi-Fi you know a fiber ring within your stadium unlocks the potential to do lots of other things and I think you know we'll probably touch on some of the the kind of questions later about turnstiles and ticketing and things like that but actually if you get if you tackle the initial problem which is the fact that our Wi-Fi is out of date it doesn't work, it falls over, it affects the turnstiles, it affects connectivity within the stadium, it affects fan engagement, it affects the customer experience. If we get that right from scratch, then loads of other projects can run on the back of it. But in the past, I think we've just kind of skirted around, you know, and flirted by trying to fix it, but haven't actually got to the root of the problem. So they're the kind of fundamental issues that you challenge. And then, of course, you've then got to put a business case to say, well, actually, 
you know, if we spend X on this, this will generate us X, Y, and Z. But you've got to speculate to accumulate, but you've got to be able to justify why you want that investment. And of course, we've had a really good run in the cup competitions and people say, well, how much money have you went on the cup and you've, you've had two good cup runs? Why aren't you reinvesting that money in this, this, and this? Well, it's not as simple as that. And you don't, you know, you, you can't spend money before you get it. And a lot of the, the cut runs, we haven't even um, had the money filter through yet. So um, I think challenging in terms of what's the biggest challenge, it's kind of managing everybody's expectations because what happens is when you have a bit of success, everybody expects more. And it's the same with the football side of things. You know, if, you, if you're flirting with relegation, people just want you to stay up. And if you stay up and you finish 20th out of 24, then people are happy, you know, they're buoyant because you've managed to escape relegation. But then if you finish mid-table and you just miss outside the playoffs, people expect you to be in the playoffs. And you finish in the playoffs year after year, they expect you to go up automatically the following year. So I think it's managing the expectation, it's managing people, um, trying to get everybody in harnessing the positive energy that we've got around the football club because we've got, and we'll touch on that, I'm sure, later on, but we've got a fantastic fan base. And I think, for me, it's just trying to keep everybody together and everybody as happy as you possibly can i know it's not always going to be the case but it is a challenge and it's a fine balance really between sticking to your plan and you know kind of listening to the good feedback and the constructive feedback and the rest of it that's just noise that's just negativity that isn't thought through or is just criticizing people or the club or things about it that they feel they they're entitled to say but doesn't come with any substance you've just got to remember and i've, I've said this to all my staff you have to just stick to the plan because ultimately if we keep getting distracted by the, the outside noises that actually aren't positive or constructive, then we'll never achieve our goal. Um, so the biggest challenge really is just keeping everybody focused and keeping people on the right path. So we've talked about challenges there and stuff. I, I guess it'd be good to look at the successes that we've had. I know you've um, hinted at that as well. It'd just be, Great to have a gauge of how successful you feel your time's been so far at the club and I guess what your key achievements are to date. Um, look, I'm, I'm not one to kind of talk about my own kind of personal success, really. And, I, you know, I'd like to be judged on a personal note whenever I leave the club and whenever I leave the club, I want to be able to leave it in a good place, a, a hell of a lot better than kind of where it was when I, when I started. So... It's one thing I've, I've kind of said to everybody, really. It's the same on the playing side as well. Um, you know, we kind of win together and we lose together and we take the credit together. And if we take any flat, we, we need to take that together. And, you know, we need to be accountable for, for, our, for our mistakes as well as, you know, celebrate the success. I think as a collective, obviously the renaming of the stadium um, is, a big, is a big plus point. You know, it's very controversial in football, not so much in League Two, but certainly as you go up the leagues, I think lower down the leagues, people understand that you know the revenue is is vital, and sometimes, look, and most people that attend football matches at Hartlepool know. Um, but to have a commercial sponsor, uh, the size of the animal that is Sue Direct and the potential that's got for the future, um, has got to be a success story. I think at our level because that's a partnership without a, a shadow of a doubt that wouldn't look out of place in the in the Premier League. You know, it's a it's a six figure multi year partnership and as part of that it's an it's enabled us to make the stadium look better Um, you know we've alluded to the fact that we're going to be coming to the end of the stadium's life we're looking at redeveloping the stadium over the next three to four years hopefully um in conjunction with the council 
So really, it's about how do we make this football stadium as fit for purpose as we can whilst we've still got it. And, you know, sweat the asset, if you like, make sure that when people do come, that they're, um, we're maximising every opportunity at the same time as giving people a great customer service and, and great hospitality. So I think with the naming rights of the stadium came refurbishment in the boxes, refurbishments in the, along the hospitality corridor. And I'm sure you've seen the Suit Direct Lounge. I'm sure you've seen Maidens. There's more improvements um, ongoing in that area. Um, and funnily enough, on Saturday, I kind of took stock kind of six months in at where we've come. And I think when I first started, as you do, you, you kind of look at what's what's good about the club, what's what's not so good about the club and kind of what can be improved. Um, well, hospitality, any football club is a really big earner. Um, not only is it you know something that people should be proud of to come and attend a football club and enjoy football matches in style, if that's what they want to do, it also attracts a lot of sponsors. So if you get that bit right, then you can unlock potentially a lot. But also, you know, we had caterers that were ready to walk away. We're probably doing 18 to 20 covers a game in a facility that could probably house 250, 260 people, including the boxes. That's not sustainable. You know, it's not viable. It's not a viable. So that was really important. We changed that and we did it quickly. And we did that um, in a relatively short period of time. We made the proposition um, different, regardless of what your budget would be. So there's a kind of entry-level product with the Suit Direct Lounge, which was a more kind of gin bar, relaxed feel, but a smart environment for people to come and enjoy the football with the premium ticket, but just a nice place to chill out and have a beer. And then if you wanted to have a proper dining experience like you would do in most other football clubs in hospitality, then, you know, we we, we made Maidens a, a food-only kind of proposition with a slightly higher price point than the Suit Direct. But I also took the kind of, you know, the the kind of educated gambler, I guess, of, of looking at the pricing structure. You know, we're, we're pricing far too expensive for what the proposition was. The proposition wasn't good enough to charge the money we were, we were commanding for it. So we've reduced the price. And we've increased the proposition. And by doing that, you know, week in, week out now, we're, we're not far off selling out in hospitality. And that, for me, is a is a really big kind of um, mark of success. Because if you get that right, like I say, you know, we've now got a space where we can entertain. We can bring new potential sponsors. I've got people that I've worked with over the years from different clubs that are now sitting up and taking notice. Larger brands that you need that aren't necessarily from Hartlepool. But as we go up the leagues, you certainly need to attract kind of bigger sponsorship than what you might be able to attract on your doorstep. And um, now I think we're, we're in a position to do that. So I think that, I think changing the culture of the football club, massively important. You know, you're nothing without your people. It's a cliche, but it's true. And if you, if you haven't got the culture and your values right within the organisation, then it's going to be very difficult to achieve anything. So that doesn't happen overnight. You've got to make sure that you, you value your people and you kind of... Um, give them the tools to do the job and give them a voice that they might not have necessarily had before. Um, uh, successes, making the stadium look nice and tidy. I think uh, the hospitality, commercial revenue, which has grown kind of exponentially in the last six months and is continuing to rise. The conversations we're having already for next season are, are very positive. Um, we're attracting people now that we probably wouldn't have attracted six months ago. And I think the people within the organisation are kind of, you know, buying into what we're trying to achieve. So I'd say they're the kind of biggest success stories so far.
It's all been well documented that in the past, the club hasn't been in the best of hands and we have come a long way since then. And it's great to see how the club is growing and there's more and more positivity as we move forward. But Jack Anson has asked, where do you personally see the club in five years' time? Do you have any goals set? Wow, um, you're putting me on the spot there. Well, who's, who's asked that question again? Jack Anderson. Jack Anderson, right. Okay. Um, look, I think we're currently going through a piece of work at board level now, um, which will be announced in the next week or two, where we're setting a club vision and we're putting lots of values in place. We're also bringing in a new academy, which I'm sure you're aware of, which we might touch on. I'm not sure if it's one of your questions later on. Um, in terms of where I personally think we can be and where we should be, within five years, I'd expect us to be a sustainable League, league One football club. Um, and I'd certainly expect us to be in a stadium that's halfway, if not fully redeveloped by then. Um, I think the football club, as it stands, you know, the crowds we're getting and 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 the, the feel-good factor about town is fantastic. Um, it needs a lot of work doing off the pitch and it needs very careful management to get the club to where it needs to be. And, you know, sometimes we can't always come out in the public and explain some of the things that we're doing behind the scenes and our time on certain things. But actually what we're doing is we're sowing seeds for the future. Um, in terms of me personally, I'm very passionate about the academy. I've spent a lot of time every week, in fact. Um, I'm at a grassroots club um, in the area. You know, we've formed the Hartlepool United Youth Alliance, which brings together lots of grassroots football clubs, which will hopefully feed into our new academy starting from next season. And, you know, I want to keep the best boys in this town. I don't want them going to Middlesbrough. I don't want them going to Sunderland or Newcastle or, or further afield. I want us to keep the best talent within the town. Um, so I think, you know, if we get that right and we, we can start becoming a self-sustainable football club, we can bring kids through the ranks and, and hopefully, you know, through to the first team. If we have a few players who who stand out, we can put a good price tag on them and sell them and, and make money, and it's a good business model. Uh, but yeah, within five years, you know, if the chairman um, carries on with the same kind of vision and, and values that we've been talking about recently, then I'd be very disappointed if we weren't, you know, not just a, a League One club, but a League One club. Well, we've been before, by the way, but a League One club where off the field everything matches what's going on on the field. Yeah, I mean, it's great to hear ambition like that. And I guess before we do go on to the next question, you've touched on the academy there. Perhaps is there anything you'd like to further say on that? How you can clearly see how passionate you are about that. It's it's vitally important. You know, it's um, when we dropped down to the National League and I can totally understand why, um, you know, we had to lose the academy. But if you look at any good, well-run football club, you look at Southampton's in the in the Premier League. You look at Norwich City, my old my old club, um, invest a hell of a lot of money and time into the academy to to bring young young talent through and, and give them their opportunity in the first team. Um, it's it's massively important. And as it stands now, we've applied for a Cat Four academy status. Which for those who don't understand what that means, uh, Cat Four, we could have applied for a Cat Three. I think that personally would have been a step too far too soon. Cat four is 16s to 18s, which is why it's really important. And the kind of strategy behind developing the youth alliance is that both best boys from the teams within the youth alliance will, will feed into the under 16s, 17s, and, and 18s in the academy whilst we're in cat four. Um, confident that that 
Cat 4 application will be accepting and give us a year at Cat 4. That's only the start, really, of the academy. You know, further down the line, we'll, we'll certainly be looking for a Cat 3. And in the future, you know, in five years' time, I'd love to have us a, a Cat 2 academy where we're really developing talent and, and kind of bringing kids through, but keeping, you know, satellite centres on the outside of town feeding into the academy. So it's not just an academy, isn't it? There's a satellite academy on the outside of the actual academy. So, yeah, Cat 4 for now. I'm very passionate about it. I'm really, really passionate about keeping the best the best boys, really, in this in this town and giving them an opportunity to play for Hartlepool United because... Ultimately, um, the best well, the best run football clubs are the clubs that have a solid academy, whether it's um, you know League Two or or Premier League. It's um, it's vitally important for us. Well, yeah, I mean you've seen that through the whole thing with Joe Gray. I mean he's an incredible talent that's been developed, and it's great to see him progressing in the first team. But if we move away from that now, and I know we've mentioned it about ticketing related questions that have come in. In regards to these, do you think there will be a move to digital QR codes in the future? And also, are there any updates or plans for a loyalty system to be brought into place? Um, I think one of the earlier questions about the challenges, and I was saying, you know, if we have the right Wi-Fi, which sounds very, very kind of basic to, to kind of you and I, but actually if you've got a system that keeps falling down, then you, there's no point going spending money on your ticketing system that when it gets to the um, entry point of the turnstile, the whole thing's falling down and you're just taking tickets and ripping off stubs. So the short answer is yes, um, but there's no point doing that until we tackle the first issue, which is making sure that the fibre ring within the stadium and the connectivity is, is, is what it should be. So there's a project ongoing at the moment to get that fixed. Um, and I'm currently in conversations. I've been in meetings this week with um, a company that I've now identified um, to come in from next year um to provide a new ticketing system for us i think it's uh, long overdue i know that it's a source of frustration for supporters um it's clunky it's not fit for purpose it's basic um i understand the reasons why we've had it um i'm certainly not dissing anybody for bringing that system in but if we really want to be serious about where we want to get to and you know I want to be true to my word and where I think we can be in five years' time. Well, we're not going to get there if we have systems in place like we have currently. So there's got to be some investments in that. Um, so in terms of loyalty systems, absolutely. Um, the system that I'm kind of bespoke, bespokely building now, if you will, with the uh, with the new the new company that we're looking to bring in will um, encompass memberships. I think memberships is a, a huge um benefit to the club financially but also to our supporters and a membership should give you benefits and when it comes to buying tickets the loyalty systems that you know I'm, I'm well aware of the fact that yes we've got season ticket holders here and they should always have an element of priority for certain things but then we've also got fans all across the uk we've got southeast poolies we've got poolies everywhere i've been up and down the country and you know it always amazes me where these fans live and where they come from, even abroad. So we need to make sure that they're not disadvantaged just because they don't live on the doorstep. So in terms of a piece of work, you know, we, we came under some criticism recently with the Harrogate game and 600 tickets. And, you know, we could have sold 3,000, probably 4,000. It's down the road, it's an hour. Um, and everybody wanted to go. And then, you know, we didn't give priority to season ticket holders and we came under a lot of flight for that. And I understand that because... 
really we should be having a loyalty system in place, but you don't start changing things halfway through a season. Um, you know, you make things clear at the beginning of the season and you stick to that throughout. So it wouldn't have been right, in my opinion, to start changing um, and prioritising one particular game over another just because, you know, um, we've got nearly 3,000 season ticket holders. But next season, that will be addressed. Um, so, yes, QR codes, um, you know, hopefully. Again, we, we could come in with Fortress. We could, we could come in with new technology at, at turnstile level. Um, but again, there's only so much you want to do with the stadium that's going to be redeveloped. So a lot of the projects that I'm working on at the moment, I've got to have one eye on the future. And is it transferable? Because if it's something that is going to cost us a lot of money and then it's going to be redundant in two to three years, then you've got to argue, is it money worth spending? But if it's a project that I can work on that's actually going to be transferable to a new stadium, then it is worth doing. And that's what I'm looking at. So, so yeah, so ticketing, retail, um, Massive, massive areas for improvements. Excited about the retail and ticketing side of things for next year. Um, lots of work has been done already on that, and we're not far away from making some uh, really exciting announcements in that kind of area. You've mentioned there, obviously, about the ground, the stadium redevelopment. Um, there has been talk about the summer and work on the ground. Bailey Winwood has asked whether you can shed any light on this. I know there's been a mention of new seats being put into place. I saw a tweet of yours, I think, was it last year? I mean, is there any chance that you can shed any light on, on this? Yeah, there's some things that we have to do that we can't get away from. And again, it goes back to what I was just saying about, you know, what, what we're trying to do is anything we do, um, look at the, the most cost-effective way of doing it and, if, if possible, transfer it into a new stadium. Um, in terms of the Teesside Airport stand, um, I was amazed actually when I, when I started the football club and the first time I've been in that stand it's very continental isn't it in terms of the um, the seats it's like being in Cyprus or something I've never seen seats like that in this country um, and obviously there's the the well documented issues of the northwest corner and the size of the fencing on the side and you know so many mixed messages about that you know very very unclear as to why things have been covered why they haven't a lot of that I just inherited when I arrived it was already kind of condemned by the council as a safety risk. Um, look, we've got a year's grace to get the seating fixed in the stand. It has to be fixed by the start of next season. Um, I'm exploring lots of different options at the moment. Um, I'm looking at, I'm exploring safe standing. I'm exploring seating. Um, the same with the rink end, where there's lots and lots of damaged, um, damaged seats in the Simpson Miller stand. Is it feasible to turn that back into a terrace? Whatever we do, I want it to be able to be portable, just to redevelop in that stand. I want to make sure those seats aren't going to waste. I want to make sure those seats can be taken out, stood somewhere, then put back into the new stadium. Um, so, like I said before, yes, loads of work going on in the in the kind of background, but at the same time, you've got to have one eye on the future to make sure that we're not wasting money and we're not duplicating effort. Um, so seating is one of the projects. Um the rink end, you know, after Carlisle came and um, and very nicely damaged all our seats, which you still haven't paid the bill for, by the way. Um, I had a, you know, a dilemma, really. Do you spend loads of money on trying to fix 300 seats, which is ultimately what we were down, when actually probably 90% of you fan base in League Two, we're, all, we're only going to bring five, six hundred max. 
Um, or do you wait till the end of the season and do the job properly? And that's kind of where we've, where we've kind of arrived at. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at now. I'm looking at seating, looking at safe standing, I'm looking at all the different options for that, but there'll definitely be improvements to, to both of those. In terms of the pitch itself, uh, the pitch, I think, is um, Dave Brown, our groundsman, does a really good job on the uh, the budget and with the resources that he's got available to him at his disposal. Um, could it be better? Yes. Um, are some, you know, I go to all the away games, I look at the pitches, I, you know, I talk to people, I try and gather best practice, I try and put people in touch with people, I put people in touch with people that I've worked with in the past. But ultimately, the, the pitch needs reinvestment. It needs, regardless of, of what we do around it, in terms of stands and redevelopment, the pitch is due a big overhaul. Um, and this year, it's going to have that. So generally speaking, with a football pitch, you'll have like a three-year cycle um, where you'll do kind of a, 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 what you call a minor and then a major. So you might do minor adjustments every year and that, that'll cost whatever you've got in your budget to, to kind of do the minor. And then every three years, you'll do a major overhaul. Um, and that's what we're looking to do this summer. Um, it needs it. It needs um, it, it, it. needs a new base. It needs, it needs a lot of attention kind of get done in the summer and again you know it feeds into you know we've had lots of requests for cup finals um you name it every football team in Hartlepool wanted to play on there at some point this season and you know if I had my way they'd all play on there but at the same time as it stands now you know we're in a good position in the league the playoffs isn't you know out of distance it's still there it's still achievable and while it's still achievable and the football team are doing well and we can aim to finish as high as we can We've got to be very careful about what we plan for the pitch in the kind of close season because a we don't know when the season our season will finish and b we need to allow as much time as possible to get the kind of renovation work done um in time for you know next season which will be you know thankfully it looks like another season of efl football that we can build upon so so yeah they're the kind of major things i'd say kind of um that we're looking to to kind of implement over the over the summer and then apart from that there'll be lots of things that will make the stadium better the customer service better that potentially you can't actually see but the kind of you'll see the benefits from without actually physically seeing any changes um a fan zone is something else i'm really passionate to try and bring in um rose our head of operations was really keen to kind of bring that in this year we've already done a lot of the legwork on kind of identifying space um where we'd look to do that how big we'd look to to do that what we'd try and put in there um but again it was just something that you know i wanted to just put the brakes on this year because i'm a big believer if you're going to do something do it properly um don't play at it and i think this year it was all about staying in this division the cut runs have been great the football team have done great if we stay in this division then it opens a lot more doors for us for next season to kind of build on that and i think um you know fan zone for me would be would be fantastic at our football club
away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.